Back to Romans 9. Um, I, I, um, I try to schedule this out so that we can uh, kind of pick up in a, with a little bit of a, a break in the chapter. And after our break, we get back to it. So that's, that's kind of what this is. Uh, we're at verse 6. And you might recall the last time we were together, we looked at Romans 9, 6. But we used it. I used it as an opportunity to teach you something about hermeneutics. You might remember that word, that big old theological word concerning um, rules of and theories, well, rules of interpretation. And I, I tried to help you in terms of just interpreting your own Bibles in your own time with the Lord. And we looked at Romans 9, 6 concerning uh, the, uh, the way that it illustrates principles of hermeneutics. That's what we did on uh, December the 7th, I think, whenever that day was. But anyway. Tonight we dive into the text itself, and, and very honestly, we could spend a whole lot of time, again, on Romans 9, 6, but I'm going to try to race through it um, um, tonight. Now, guys, um, I need to remind you of Paul's purpose in this chapter, that is Romans 9, as well as Romans 10 and 11. He has the same purpose in all three of those chapters, and here is his purpose. We discussed this back when we started Romans 9, but... Romans 8, the previous chapter, uh, ended on this, with this stirring affirmation and assurance of the safety of God's people. We are safe. We don't have to keep wondering about our eternal destiny. And he, he, he begins at verse 28, for we know that all these things uh, that those uh, work for the good of those who love God and the called according to His purpose. And then you've got this wonderful thing in 29 and 30. And then he ends up with, um, uh, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor present things are come, but things power and death. That nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. That's the way he ended chapter 8. With this rousing statement of confidence about the safety of God's people. Now, the objection that he faces now is, okay, Paul, what about the Jews? Are they not an example of, of, of the failure of God's purposes? I mean, uh, are they not an example of, of either the purposes of God being changed or the purposes of God being frustrated or defeated? What about that, Paul? You've made this big old hairy statement about the safety of God's people over here. I just want to ask you this. What about Israel? <laughs> Doesn't seem to me that God's purposes are so fixed. And so that is what he's trying to answer, guys. That objection. Um... And very honestly, verse 6 is the key, the one we're on tonight, is the key to this whole section all the way to the end of chapter 11. Now, verses 7 through 13 are really an explanation of verse 6, and we're going to try to take 7 through 13 fairly rapidly when we get to those next week. But <clears throat> verse 6 is key to an understanding of not only this section, but to some other things as well, and we'll look at that in a minute. But this is a key text, guys. So, so listen up. 
And I'm telling you, a lot of, or I'm telling you, it'll answer a lot of the questions I think that perhaps have troubled you um, over some things. At least I hope. Gang, in verse six, Paul is giving you a definition of the true meaning of the term Israel. Now, in the first half of the verse, let me read it. But it is it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. In the first half of 6, he is also asserting that God's word has done, is doing, and will do what it has always meant to do. But the question is, what has it meant to do? Now, um... What he is addressing or trying to explain is the problem of national Israel's state of unbelief cannot be traced to any failure on the part of God's Word. Are you with that? I mean, um, the objection is, okay, it seems to me that God's purposes have certainly failed. I mean, take Israel, for instance. And he says, wait a minute. Israel's sad state of unbelief today, and even today, cannot be traced to the failure of God's Word. And then he sets out to explain, guys, his explanation as to the non-failing nature of the Word of God is found in verse, is in the, the, the second half, the B part. And here's his explanation. His explanation is, no, 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 no. Not, the, the Word of God has not failed, but here's the, here's the way to understand it. Not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. That's his explanation. His explanation for the sad state of Israel, of the unbelieving state of Israel. It's not to be blamed on the failing purposes of the, of the Word of God or the failing design of God. It's to be found in this explanation. Not everybody descended from Israel is of Israel. So what he's doing is giving you a definition of true Israel. Now, gang, I said this was key. And I want to suggest to you that Romans 9, 6 is key. If you want to under, if you want to understand so much of Old Testament history, you must understand verse 6. And here's the point. Just because you have Jewish parents or Jewish lineage, it does not make you a true Jew. Not all Israel is Israel. Gang, Israel made that mistake in the Old Testament. She made that mistake in the New Testament. And she's still making that mistake today. Thinking that if I am a part of national Israel... Everything's fine for me. Everything's fine. 
Let me, let me just give you a couple of examples, guys. I, I don't want you to turn here because... Um, um, but this is out of Jeremiah chapter 7. Jeremiah comes to Israel and says, Hey, let me tell you something. God's upset with Israel. And he's going to bring this vicious nation from the north down and he's going to destroy Israel. And, and they say, "Oh, I mean, Jeremiah. I mean, son, you don't understand. And they say, um, do not, they say about Jeremiah, uh, uh, no, Jeremiah says about them, do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. That's, that's seven, four. You know what they're saying? You know what Israel is saying? Nothing's bad gonna happen to us! We got the temple! <laughs> I mean, everything's fine! It's the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple. In that same chapter, ladies and gentlemen, Jeremiah addresses the prophets of Israel who say to Israel, those, these prophets who say, peace, peace. And Jeremiah goes on to say, but there is no peace. But their confidence was in, we got the temple. <laughs> I mean, everything's fine. We're Israel. Ah, but not all Israel. Is Israel? That's what he's saying in Romans nine six. Um, guys, have you ever noticed in the in the um, the New Testament how much wrangling goes on between Jesus between Jesus and Jews? He's always fight with Jews. He's always fight with the with the with the religious elite, and. Um, and, and, and I'm just going to give you one example. This is in John chapter 8. And listen to what part of this conversation. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Do you see what they're saying? Everything's fine with us. Because Abraham's our father. Just like they were saying, oh, everything's okay. We got the temple. Everything's fine with us. Abraham's our father. And this is Jesus' reply. He says, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing what Abraham did. Do you see what Jesus... He's saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. Just because you have some physical descendancy that ties you back to Abraham, that doesn't mean you're of Abraham. Just like Paul is saying in Romans 9. Not all Israel... Is Israel. Israel thought and continues to think that the issue is form. It's ritual. It's parentage. It's outward conformity. Listen to this, guys. This, this, is, this is stirring, at least. This is John the Baptist. John the Baptist, you know, in, in his ministry, listen, uh, verses 7 and 8, 3, 7 and 8. He said, therefore, to the crowds, John the Baptist says to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers! Who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to raise up from these stones children of Abraham. You see, what, what John the Baptist is doing, what Jeremiah is doing, what Jesus is doing, they're all doing the same thing. Israel, do you not understand this? Just because you have some kind of physical descendancy and lineage... Traced back to Abraham. That doesn't mean you're safe. Because true Israel is not um, identical 
to national Israel. Guys, um, I cannot overstate, I cannot overstate the blindness that occurs in men and women when they come to the conclusion, I don't need that. I mean, because I'm fill in the blank. I'm fine because everything's okay with me because I, I mean, I, I don't need that because we have the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Oh, I'm a son of Abraham, I'm a son of Abraham, I'm a son of Abraham. Peace, peace. And there's not any peace. Because ladies and gentlemen, not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. You do understand that, don't you? And that is, that, that is part of the great offense of the cross of Jesus Christ. People look at the proclamation of the cross and they say, wait a minute. This, this, man, is, this man is preaching to us as if, as, if, as if we were sinners. I mean, doesn't he know that I'm... Fill in the blank. I mean, he acts like... that. That I've got some kind of spiritual need. Doesn't he know that I'm a, a member of that church? Doesn't he know that I, I teach? I mean, he, he treats us like, like, like I'm a sinner. And Paul is trying to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that here is, he's trying to give you some sense of a true definition of the term Israel. And he says, just because you have some kind of descendancy, just because you can trace your, your, your lineage all the way back to Abraham, that means nothing. The reason that you think the Word of God has failed, my friends, says Paul, is because you don't understand that not all of Israel is Israel. The reason that you think that God's purposes and designs have not been accomplished is because you identify His plans and purposes with something national, something outward, something um, uh, ethnic. And I tell you, God's Word has not failed because not all Israel is Israel. Because for the true Israel, God's Word has never failed and it never will. Gang, not only does verse 6 give you, I think, great help in interpreting the history of the Old Testament, but it is also utterly essential in your whole doctrine of salvation. Now, let me, I'll explain that. Verse 6, particularly the last half of it, is absolutely essential in your whole understanding, your whole doctrine and presentation of salvation. Now, I'm going to try to explain that, but I'm going to do so real quick by asking you four questions. Let me ask my four questions and then, and then I'll try to start clarifying. First of all, is there such a thing as a Christian nation, a Christian country? Secondly, are the children of Christian parents of necessity 
Christians. Third question. Are baptized children of, of, are baptized children of anybody? Of necessity. Christians. You do know that Israel taught that, don't you? In terms of circumcision? Here's my fourth question. Are all who have been baptized, whether they're children or adults or church members, of necessity, Christians? And the answer to all four of those questions, ladies and gentlemen, is no. There is no such thing as a Christian nation. Do you think that this country was ever a Christian? I mean, did it have some nice Christian founder? Sure, this country was Christian? Never! But then, guys, it troubles me. Where did we come up with terms like these? Like a carnal Christian or a lapsed Christian? People who have no interest in spiritual things, whatever. Whether they are baptized or not, or whether they are Americans or not, or whether they are church members or not. Oh, they may be of Israel. But they are not of Israel. Do you see that? Because not all who are descended from Israel, not all who have the outward markings of of religious acceptability even though they have those outward markings oh not all of those with not all of those people with that stuff are members of true israel so gang what paul has done is give you a definition of of true israel now let me let me try to summarize it for you. First of all, there are two meanings to the term Israel. One is a is a is a generalized or a general one is very specific. The general definition of the term Israel is national it's outward. Um, it's physical. Circumcision. I have fought. Abraham is my father. We have the temple. We have the temple. We have the temple. The other definition of the term is spiritual and inward. Paul is using the term telling you it can be used two ways. Yes, you can use the term to refer to a nation. But when it comes to spiritual matters, ladies and gentlemen, national distinctives mean nothing. And ladies and gentlemen, that was the mistake in the Old Testament. With Judaism, it is the mistake in the New Testament with Judaism. 
and it is the mistake of Judaism in the 21st century, but unfortunately, the mistake doesn't stop with them. Because we are, we got our kids baptized. I mean, why is he preaching like that to me? Don't his, doesn't he know I'm baptized? I mean, what's he talking to me for like that? Because I'm a member of a church. I mean, I got all the trappings. I mean, I'm a fine, upstanding Presbyterian. I mean, does he think that, I mean, doesn't he know that I'm, Gang, people, back to Romans 9, people thought that God's purposes had failed because they had not understood the meaning of the term of Israel. They did not understand that not all of Israel was Israel. And not all of Gracie Vane is Israel either. Ladies and gentlemen, many belong to that. And few belong to that. They're two different groups of people. Not all of Israel is Israel. There is an Israel within Israel. Do you see that? It's the true Israel refers to a spiritual community, not a physical one. Judaism looked at national Israel and said, I don't believe that stuff about God's purposes being fixed. Look at Israel. And he says, oh, I know where you're why you misunderstand. You don't seem to understand that not all of Israel is Israel. Gang, thirdly, God's purposes have never failed. And they never will. And so Paul listens to the objection. I don't get it what you're talking about, Paul, Romans 8, when you say all that business about how safe we are. Well, look at Israel. And he says, oh, did you, did you think that was because God's word failed? Oh, foolish you. Don't you understand that not all Israel is Israel? Um... Guys, this is the distinction. Which, I mean, in, in this language, it's Israel versus Israel. But in the reformers from the Protestant Reformation made the distinction between the visible and the invisible church. Um, I hope you understand that term. I don't. <laughs> if you've ever been to our new members class, we um, we show a little video snippet. It's it's only eight minutes long, 
But I was on television back in the early 80s when I worked at Central and, and uh, my boss couldn't go and he asked me to go represent him. Maybe you remember this. but And um, the question that was sent in by the viewing audience was, do you have to be a member of a church to go to heaven? And I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, there were two people on that entire panel who said no. Everybody else on that panel was saying, everybody, everybody, all the Protestants, or no, the Roman Catholics as well. Yeah, yeah, you got to have them distinctions, you know. you got to have that physical stuff. And I, remember that man who says, he says, I'll tell you, if you believe in that business about, uh, you know, justification, because I made the distinction between the invisible and the visible church. And, and he says, if you believe that stuff about justification by faith, Lord, I'll eat this book. Because I think you got to be a member of a church. Yeah! I mean, you got to do what God said and join it if you want to go to heaven. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the same type of mistake. And that man is teaching in a seminary in this city. He doesn't understand that not all Israel is Israel. Hey guys, i got seven minutes. But we got it. You can't understand that without making this application. You cannot, you cannot read that without making this application, I think. It's an unavoidable application of this text, in my mind. The application is, am I a true Jew? Or am I just a part of national Israel? Am I just a member? Am I, am I just... Have I got all the, the outward, external, physical distinctivenesses that you have to line up? Or am I a part of true Israel? Because, ladies and gentlemen, not all those who are descended from Israel are Israel. And I want to tell you Never has there, in the history of the Christian church, has there ever been a group that has gathered of this size where everyone in the room was a part of true Israel. Did you hear me? Are you a true Jew? Let me leave you with five, I think, questions that you should ask yourself Five questions. First, do I believe in Jesus Christ? Not, not in broad cultural terms, but in very specific saving terms. Do I believe in the Jesus of Nazareth who left his home in glory and spilled his blood on a cross as a payment for my sin? Do I believe that? Secondly, am I serious about following after that Christ? You know, what I mean by following, I'm talking about obeying and pleasing and, and, and imitating Him. Has my life been redirected, rerouted as a result of what I would call my saving experience? 
Is there an appetite for more? Do you find in yourself an appetite for more? Fourthly, is sin a grief to me? I I didn't say you didn't sin. I just said, does sin grieve me or do I laugh at it? Make excuses for it. And then fifthly, these are just questions, guys, I'm, I'm offering you to. Because I don't think you can read Romans 9, 6 and not ask. Okay, if not all of Israel is true Israel, then I'm a part of Israel, but am I a part of true Israel? Have I believed on Jesus Christ? Am I serious about imitating him? Imitating him? Do I have a hunger for more? Does my sin grieve me? And lastly, do I love this book? This thing is life for us, ladies and gentlemen. It's life for us. And and only those who have been born of the Spirit love this book. And I'm not saying you know it. I'm not saying you understand it. I'm saying has do you find in you Dang, I love this book. Because if you can, that got inside you because of the Holy Spirit's presence. There's no other way. Guys, Romans 9, 6 is the key to understanding the history of the Old Testament. And it's a key to understanding our whole doctrine of salvation. Understanding simply that the saving work of Jesus Christ is not something that happens on the outside. It is not national. It is not physical. It is not outward. And just because I was born in a Christian nation to Christian parents who had me baptized, that means nothing. It makes you a part of Israel. doesn't make you a part of true Israel. Father, I do pray that that's been clear because the, uh, the issues are enormously important. And I pray, O oh God, that as parents we might not take comfort about our children until we have seen them demonstrate love for holy things. Just because they got baptized or join the church. I pray we might not take comfort over them or our own souls until we find something that can only be explained by the presence of the Holy Spirit within us. Father, um, for those of us who are a part of true Israel, oh, what great confidence is ours. But our confidence has nothing to do with anything that I am. I have done or anything that I am our confidence is in the sovereign saving work of the thrice holy God 
who refuses not to love his people. For that great salvation we rejoice. And I pray, O oh God, that more and more we might find an increased appetite for holy things. We ask it, of course, in the name of Christ Jesus, for his sake. Amen. Thanks and good night.